Hello, everyone. It's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. How would you like to join us in creating great conversations that inspire and connect? Patreon is a membership platform that provides a way for creators like us to build relationships and provide exclusive experiences to subscribers or patrons. We have been self-financed since we got off the ground in June of 2016, but in order to continue to fully invest all we can in each episode, we need your patronage. For more information, please go to Patreon dot com forward slash above the basement. Jonathan Brooks' first band, the critically acclaimed The Story with the talented Jennifer Kimball, was the beginning of an impressive run of beautifully written songs that today culminate in her latest project, a Broadway musical play called My Mother Has Four Noses. Currently touring the U.S., this musical play explores her relationship with her mother, who suffered the devastating effects of Alzheimer's. We caught up with Jonathan just before she played a fantastic concert at City Winery Boston and talked first kisses, don't worry, we bleeped out names to protect the innocent, alternate tunings, Woody Guthrie poems, and her new life in the theater. Before we begin, we'd like to give a special thanks to the folks at the Sinclair. The Sinclair is a former brewery turned award-winning music venue and restaurant in Harvard Square, featuring the best emerging and established touring bands in an adjacent new American kitchen with gastropub influences. The kitchen features a cozy, vibrant downstairs bar and an upstairs dining room with an open kitchen and patio overlooking Church Street. For more information, visit SinclairCambridge.com. All right, so here is our conversation with Jonathan Brooke, recorded at Sinclair Kitchen in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Are we? And we're exactly. not allowed to swear, probably, right? You can swear yeah, all you want. We are. Yeah, it's up to you. We leave Maria it up to the Mo guests. Maria and Mo have been swearing. Well, like I'm not going to try to swear, day. but it. I we're do, not. We're not swearers, but I do tend to have a potty mouth. It's, That's the Minnesota and I, thing. No, it's the Boston thing. <laughs> you really? I'm still from mad Boston. at Brady, but we won't get into that. Mm. <laughs> if you know a little bit about, and I'm learning through my son, but Amendola was just traded yeah. to. Uh, Miami. Oh, there was some big big thing that happened today, yeah. Nate Solder went to uh, the Giants. But didn't the Vikings just get someone to today? Uh, They got... And did uh, they just dump Keenum? Like, after all that hard work, he's just like, bye bye Look, I'm totally impressed. 
Are you a Minnesota fan? Are you Mike Viking well, I fan? Was, I was until they Were blew it. Were you there at the that was that weekend? Us. I wasn't there. No, that's oh, probably I was in, good. I was in town, yeah, but I oh. watched it on TV. Right, right, right. <laughs> you kidding? Right. But no, that miracle ending, right? Oh, they won that, that was right? Awesome. That was yeah. the one they won against uh, the Saints. Yeah, that was amazing. Wait, what that are we talking so about? I, We're talking about they were just the, playing the, the Super Bowl, no, the NFC. No, they weren't in the Super Bowl. No, they didn't make the Super. They got. They played at Viking Stadium, though. I mean, yes. Right, but wah, whatever. We had to pour salt on an open wound there, Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're back in Patriots territory. You're yeah. coming from Minnesota. Yeah, I came, now, from, we gonna, came today, we, just now. We were initially going to talk to you last fall. I think you were coming down from Maine or Vermont Right, or and they postponed my gig. Oh, yeah, the same gig here. Yeah. Right, right, yep. right. Because right, the, the city winery wasn't, wasn't finished open. yet. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's to, right. It's all coming back. I haven't played it's in Boston nice in a really long time. I'm a little nervous. When was the last time you played in Boston? I don't remember. Really? I played in Natick two falls ago. We're so happy that you that you made it yeah. all the way from Minnesota to Boston, and of course to oh, talk yeah. with us. Thank you. Yeah, um, sure. You betcha. You grew up where? Remind me. I grew up in Weston, and then we moved into the city because I was a ballerina, and Mom got tired of driving me to ballet class. Uh-huh. So we lived in Back Bay, and then after college, I moved back here to Newton. I've known your music for a while. You know, there's certain things about what you do and your craft and your your history that I know the basics about. But of course, you have to wiki someone, and you have to you have to do a little bit of homework too. Oh yeah, and that it's not a very good wiki page. I have yeah, to. It's I better have than to, mine. I don't someone needs to one. fix it. Yeah, Trucks is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what did it say? So anyway, I just noticed that you went to Shady Hill. Oh, I did, which yeah. Which is such a cool school, and my good friend is a teacher there in eighth grade. But anyway, I just thought that was kind of Well, I just got this alumni cool... thing. So we're having a class reunion in June, so mm. I wrote back and said, hey, you know, by the way, I'm playing. And so like... And John are coming to my gig. You know, I haven't seen them since eighth grade. Oh, cool. <laughs> like one of your like first boyfriends was coming or no? Um, yeah, or I they... think was one of the first guys I kissed. <gasps> Don't tell. That's going to be Does a great story. Well, yeah. A story of on stage. I don't think you so. Call him out? No, no? I, don't, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, no. it's private. <laughs> oh, boy. We edit this all the time. Yeah, we could, edit that. we could edit that out. But we've, we've never had a first kiss story. Though. No, that's, that's right. First, that's our first one. What was your first kiss? Uh, fifth grade, Sarah. Fifth? Wow. And, and now that I've said that, now I'm not sure she'd be happy that I had well, this. I can't remember her. if it was or it was like the same oh bottle spinning circle. Oh, oh spin yeah. the bottle! It was one of those yeah. bottle spinning uh, circles. Yeah. Do kids nowadays play spin the bottle? Do they yes, know what it's that an is? app. It's, it's, it's got to be like some little. <laughs> it's an app. I bet there is. We should look it up. There probably is. Yeah. Yeah. This is so. This is what we talk about. Well, uh, you um, know, this is good for you. It's all. It's all good. Right. I saw you at Club Metronome in 1994 in in Burlington. In Vermont, but that's where I had my first kiss. No, just kidding. My um, gig. But I was <laughs> no, but it was you know it was right after college. It was a story uh, at the Club Metronome, this great place above Nectars where yeah, fish, yeah, yeah. fish got their start. I, you know? I think there was a snowstorm. Yeah, there probably was. It's yeah. If it was Burlington, I saw this band come together that was yes, like the recording in a good way, but not like Steely Dan like the recording. It was reflective of the way that it was done mm. well with some embellishment, of course. You know, and certainly what I took away was those people always use the word dissonance. The harmony. 
It was kind of a, a signature, Definitely I thought. Definitely was a signature. Yeah. That's what drew us together. It seems like both of you had that thing. That, oh, yeah, that absolutely. thing with the harmonies. Well, there's nothing more satisfying than, than hitting totally those agree. notes and holding them against yeah. another person holding a note. It's, it's my just, favorite thing to do. Just, is especially when they are dissonant. And it's funny that you said yeah. dissonance is what brought us together. It is. <laughs> I mean, because when we met in college, we number one, we, were, we met because we were both taken into the a cappella group for our blend. We were both in this like, a cappella group at Amherst College called yeah. Sabrina's, and uh, we got chosen because we blended so well together. But also we did share this bizarre obsession with dissonance, and we would always find ourselves adding the same weird note to other people's songs yeah. when we were driving around or, or listening to anything. So In the Gloaming is an old song that I was very naive to. I never realized that you didn't write, actually. And the dissonance was something you added to that? <laughs> yeah. It had to be, right? Yeah, I mean, the melody's just sort of... Half-step time. Yeah, and so we just messed it up. You know, we just you decided to make it really intense and almost painful. Sometimes. I think some, some people are a little afraid of when we would hold the minor second for a little too long. That's really hard to do. I mean, when you're it doing... It is really hard to do. It has felled many a singer. It's funny that you brought up uh, Steely Dan because uh, no, I remember Michael McDonald talking yeah. about when he was doing all his backups for <laughs> Steely Dan. Yeah, he, he was like, it was. they had all these weird dissonant and he, he was like, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Oh, and he's and just, he's he amazing. makes those songs. You hear Peg and he's like, oh, there he is, there oh, he is. I freaking love, I love Michael McDonald. I like that song, I'm Peg. not ashamed to oh, say. It's so great. I think you mentioned something about poetry and taking a class and some of the lyrics just shot out to you and then you, you realize these could be songs. Well, it was even more specific that it was an assignment to take a, a poem yeah. and set it to music. And this was sophomore year. I took a composition course with Professor David Reck and he was obsessed with E.E. Cummings, so he had us each choose an E.E. Cummings poem to illustrate with notes and chords, and that became my first song, and that was like being unleashed, you know, it was like being struck by lightning and finally realizing, oh, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I could write my own weird song so I don't have to add all the weird shit to someone else's. Like, this is way easier this way. And it was was really exciting. But this is coming from somebody who studied to be a dancer, right? You know, I still kind of identify as a dancer in a way just because I was trained from the time I was six. And I danced professionally till I was 30. You know, we got a record deal, and so we started going on the road a lot. But, you know, it was still very much my identity. But the songwriting was this... It just reached a lot further, and I don't know, it just had so many more possibilities, and creating songs, and making music, and records, and touring was... I had to make a decision, so I, I got on the bus. And I guess later, if we, I mean, this is jumping ahead, but with the Guthrie stuff, with Woody's work, I was fascinated to hear about some of those old lyrics, or old writings, basically, that you put to music, right? This is like zip ahead, what, 30 years? What, from the story? No, from so pre-story. <laughs> so in, one. no, no, I know. So in in college as yeah. a sophomore. Oh right, right, right. And then the same concept is when oh, yeah. when you've been you've Sorry, done totally your solo career. Sorry, I totally didn't follow career. your logic. Yeah, totally. No, it was the same kind of freeing excavation in a way because you the words tell you what to do. If you have the words in front of you or you have chunks of words that you then piece together, which a lot of that record is, it's a cutting in and pasting from very different times and moments and sources. And it's exciting. It's, it's like being on a dig for old bones, you know, and putting a body together. <laughs> My flowers grow green So pretty to see 
my true love has promised to come back to me. He promised to stay for a lifetime through and change my sad flowers to the red, white, and Luckily, Woody's daughter, Nora, was super generous with me and said, you know, don't worry about him. This has to be your record. This has to be about you. Yeah, he'll be fine. So, like, do what you need to do. If you need to take a couplet from this journal from 1946 and combine it with a something from, like, the early 60s when he was suffering and falling apart from Huntington's disease, just go for it. Right. He'd, be, he'd be thrilled. And so I did. That's, and that was exciting. That sounds scary as hell, too. Luckily, I was not an aficionado. I was not, like, a raised psycho woody person uh, yeah. you know i i knew this land is your land and i you know i knew his reputation but i i didn't have any skin in the game right if, if that's no i don't, <laughs> not I don't a weird way to right. put it so i just right. sort of felt like all right well i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do what i need to do to make this a beautiful record and i'm not gonna worry about politics or you know making it be about what he did or offending all those woody fans yeah. who might yeah have skin I just in the game. have to <laughs> make it my record like Nora said yeah it was pretty organic process when you think about it because these are just beautiful poetry yeah and some of it he'd written from a female perspective which I thought was pretty cool there's a song called My Flowers Grow Green which is you know it's definitely a a woman longing for her man and speaking out about it in in the metaphor of flowers (laughs) well that's why I brought up the thing about E.E. Cummings because it just sort of seems like that same process but more seasoned later in yeah, life. And, but. and Woody was a little more earthy and accessible in a way. The E.E. Cummings stuff is, is a little bit precious when you sort of dissect it as poetry. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's, you know, it, it's more intellectual and, and kind of distanced from, I really want you, baby. I want you bad. <laughs> I, know, I like that. That sounds good to me. There is something that I wanted to bring up because I'm reading a book by Amanda Palmer right now. The Art of Asking. I'm about to finish this. You're very different people, but you have a similar story in that when you were with the story, afterwards when you went solo, you were with a label. You left the label and then started to do it yourself. You yeah. were all about signing 2,500 CDs and, and doing everything yourself. And yeah. you know, we just started a Patreon account thing ourselves. Oh, and good I know for you're, you. you're big on that. But Amanda was the same thing. She was all about the fan, yeah. connecting to the fan. Then I looked at your discography, and that's like a century ago. Oh yeah, ninety nine. Again, you, Chuck, she's not. I know, but my point. My, what I mean is, what I mean she is, she didn't mean literally. In, dis, in discography, you have ten times more more albums out after the label oh, yeah. than you did before. So while it was probably a traumatic it's time, like time for nine you, nine records on my own label. My long-winded question is: looking back on that moment into where you've come to this point today, is that kind of like the best thing that ever happened to you? Or was it just, you know, something that happened and pushed you off in, in, in a different direction? I think it was all the, all the things were the best things because I had the luxury of four major label releases. I had the luxury of free money for four whole gorgeous records. I had a quarter of a million dollars to make Plum and another quarter of a million dollars to make Ten Cent Wings and my run of players and studios and you know amazing mixer and hmm. I, I mean that was some beautiful and months in the studio free money yeah, yeah. just like really People really realize that's that how element. it used to happen and then yeah. 
tour support and radio marketing and they'd pay videos. for stuff they yeah for a couple of horrible videos but you know they spend no, money great. on that stuff and i didn't have to pay it back so yeah. and i got those beautiful records out of it right. and laid the groundwork to somewhat successfully go independent you know i had the fan base i had toured enough to, that people knew who i was and they didn't care if i was on mca or bad dog records it was just like oh when are you coming back to town so that was all great. It's harder and harder, and you know everyone can attest to it. You know the internet has not made it easier to do what we do and make a living. It's certainly made it easier to have that relationship with your fans and really be in touch. And that feels great and a little scary at times, but it doesn't pay the bills. And so I think any mid-level artist, any sort of middle-class artist, which right. is what I sort of consider myself, the 99% of us <laughs> out right. there schlepping around the, the world, you know, trying to bring home some money, um, we're all, like, scrambling, you know? It's a really interesting and scary and great time. I mean, sure, that all that stuff is great. It gave you an experience that maybe a lot of, a lot of musicians don't get, yeah, certainly, I have right? Yeah, no regrets but or, or anger. It also kind of forced you to connect more with your fan base, didn't mm -hmm. it? Right? We did fan funding before there was fan funding. That record in, nine, in when was it, 2003? When we made Back in the Circus. Mm -hmm. That was, we got the money for that on through the website. That was right. early day, pre-pledge, pre-Kickstarter. Right. Do you remember discovering something interesting about your fan base, about who they were? Was it a surprise when you started meeting the fans, maybe more on a face-to-face -face basis? Or Yeah. I mean, some of them are my best friends now. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, that's my... Like, I have this circle of friends through those early interactions and those early sort of web connections and I cherish them you know we, we text all the time from our different corners of the world and yeah that's pretty cool that's the irony of this I think this sweet spot that you might have hit is you build up with that like you said quarter of a million dollars to make an album <laughs> now you have and to you make have, it with five yeah now you <laughs> that's a lot of Patreon by the way that's 250 grand now in the 2000s now 2018 you are able to with technology text them from across the world world with a picture mm -hmm. and use the internet to your advantage yeah. and communicate with your fans and so, it's part of your job to do that now and yeah. so that there are there are people for whom that's just no fun at all because it's another full-time job really to stay connected and to post pictures and to engage and to respond to I know, know it must those, be those incredibly people. hard it, may, it takes up a lot of time even if, even just that I mean look you, you do one quick Instagram picture takes it two seconds you do 3,000 a year then you know right but I love that I love being able to see the yeah. person behind the music yeah and it humanizes them I love that I love learning about the people that are giving me this music that I love so much yeah. I think it's really neat it's an, it's an it's unusual that uh, there's that fourth wall type of stuff in it's theater gone. right it's yeah it's like you might as well be in my living room yeah right House concert at Jonathan's. Popcorn watching Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, you're going to be playing City Winery tomorrow for a big crowd in Boston. And I hope so. You will. Tomorrow you're going to get up with a guitar. Right. And you're going to connect with people like you did in 1992. Yeah. You know, which is it's just an amazing This feeling. intangible. No, it really is amazing. I still get to do this. Yeah, and I, I still freaking are. love it. I get up there and I'm just, I really love my job.
just did um, this show in Minneapolis. I did seven shows a week for yeah. pretty much a month of my one woman right. musical play. Yeah, and, I want to we want to hear about that. And I still it's grueling, but it's it's such a privilege to to share that sort of communion with like-minded kindreds, you know, who really want an experience of like talk to me. Yeah. Let's talk about some stuff. You know, I was talking to my wife about meeting you and she's always loved your stuff, but she like many people that appreciate it don't know about this other side of you and this creation that you put together off Broadway. Yeah. You could probably do a whole show alone on My Mother Has Four Noses, but yeah. I guess tell us about that experience with uh, while we're on that topic of mm. connecting with the audience and the fans on that level. People came from all over the country to, to Minneapolis in February to see, to see that show. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, one guy came from Chicago, and I did a talk back every night after every show. So besides the seven shows a week, I was doing like 45 minutes of like almost therapy in how, a way. How big is the theater? Are you 150, 150, 160. Oh, so you're really, it's really, really intimate. Really intimate, yeah. yeah. But anyway, one guy who came from Chicago who had followed me from the early story days said, you know, this is so lovely to see because I think you're just realizing like all of the stuff you've ever done is culminating in this, you know, mm. the dance background. Because I'm not dancing in the show, but there, there are Movement. moments that, that feel choreographed. There's a lighting cue that, that catches my hand in a certain way, and then I spin off into the next cue, or like the way I dramatize my mother. Or You know, it's very, it's very physical you're, when you're acting. Um, and acting has always terrified me, but I'm kind of acting now. And, you know, it's, he sort of struck me as like wow you know I hadn't thought of it that way but this has been this opportunity to use every single thing I ever learned right <laughs> in this very scary new adventure and that feels pretty cool now, now what do I do what do I do next <laughs> you take the path down to the shore but no one lives there anymore your house is shuttered Birds bare, papers scattered everywhere. The labyrinth of all your fears, the twisted plot that brought you here. You ring it out year after year with more faith, morning lakes and lakes of tears. Hey, 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 hey. The wind just blows right through. you know this I used to be an actor I've heard this before. you heard this I was an actor for 10 years in New York City and I did a lot of small theaters just like that and and I saw Ron sent me a YouTube video of you doing the scene with the little oh um, the Columbia yeah. Columbia thing and I had like these pangs of it brings you back to when you're up there doing like a monologue because that's yeah. basically what it is it's a, yeah. it's a monologue it's one of the hardest things to do I mean first of all you're playing that thing 
and well, talking. And talking. <laughs> Kicks my ass every time. Wow. <laughs> well, well, there's lights in your eyes. You can't see a damn I thing. I know. I'm so blind now from looking at those lights. <laughs> I bet. And so I, I had all these memories flooding back to me of me doing that. Yeah. You got to see the VHS on but, that. Yeah. I had hair back then. But the, one of the hardest things to do, the longest show I ever done was like two weeks. We did like an Actors' Equity mini one. So you do, I don't know, eight shows a week. And it's emotionally exhausting. Eventually, you just get you just spent. You, you, have no, you don't feel like you can have any emotion at all. It's, you're dead at the end of it. Now, this is a personal story to you. Not only are you acting and telling this, this story, and you're acting it out, and you're playing music, and you're singing. So maybe you're not acting. But <laughs> I'm acting. Well, but, <laughs> but, but there's, is there an element of this is you, but you have to, I guess you have to be an actor. This is my but, question. Is that the question? Okay, sorry. This yeah. is my, but, this is, but that's exactly the point. What did I say? Well, you're acting, yeah. but it's your own story. Right. So I remember taking a class where they, they wanted everybody to cry. So they said, think about something that happened in your life, and that will be your memory that helps you cry. And all the people started bursting into tears, and I was like, oh, I can't cry. And one woman <laughs> couldn't stop crying, and she said, she said, well, what did you think about? She said, oh, this thing happened to me last year. She said, no, it has to be something way, way, way in the past. Uh-huh. It has to be, yeah. It was like an, it's an exercise right. they do in acting seminal. school. When you're acting, or when you're telling your story, or when you're feeling those emotions that you felt when you initially wrote this, and when, you act, when it was actually happening, how does that all mesh for you? For me, I mean, the further I get from my mother dying, the more acting it becomes. But it is still a very visceral, true story. It's sure. my story. Um, and there are, number one, there are things that will trip me up sometimes that I don't see coming that will make me emotional where I'm not supposed to be emotional. Hmm. And I just go with it. Yeah. And I see where that leads me you. that yeah. night. And then there are marks that I know I need to hit where I've gotten really good at sort of turning it on, but only to the point of almost crying because... You have to sing two seconds later? I have to sing two seconds later. But also, Jeremy, this is interesting, my my director basically said, like, you don't need to prove that you can cry. You know, like, crying isn't such a big deal. If you can get almost there, but not lose your shit, you know, so that the audience feels that you're there, but you're you're still in control and you are moving the thing forward, then are those then the that's times when thing. they cry or that you think? Oh my they god, they feel cr- the, the audience is a mess when you tee it up. <laughs> the audience is a mess. That Columbus song just wrecks the entire place. But the okay, so like the last night, like the thirtieth show, my mother was a poet, so I read yeah. two of her poems during the course of the show, and I lo- I lost it during one of her poems I was so tired it was like yeah. the seventh show after you know whatever yeah. and this will happen with songs even even in a concert mm-hmm. I'll play so much mine for the hundred millionth time and I'll be like oh that's just <laughs> I love this song I did a good job on this one and it's fucking killing me right. and that happened with mom's poem it happens sometimes out of the blue with songs I've been singing for 20 years and that's why we do this it's it's electricity in a room yeah. it won't ever be the same twice that's and exactly I right. fucking it love won't. it even with so much mine you know some classic songs that you were really in your formative writing years almost that I could see bring up emotions. Oh, yeah. Well, especially because um, I don't have kids of my own, but... Oh, I, the subject matter I of so much mothered mine. my right. mother through her last two years. And she, she was, yeah, she was like a, a baby at times. And, and there was this really poignant switch that I all of a sudden understood even more deeply what parenting must be like. When you mention therapy, it seems like the 45 minutes afterwards is, is almost a natural way for you to breathe when people are going to be asking you 
questions after I would I would think that there's themes. Mm. Oh yeah. But I was wondering if does anything come to mind about themes of those 30 days or The common theme is the shared experience, the fact that everybody knows some part of the story. I mean, mine is particular. My mother was kind of wacky and she did have four prosthetic noses and that's a whole other <laughs> You have to come see the show to figure that out. But the common thing is, oh my goodness, thank you for sharing these hard and hysterical things and sharing the fact that they coexist. My biggest impetus to telling this story was, oh my God, I hope other people have felt these things because I need to talk about this. Like, I need to talk about the fact that this really harrowing thing was going on, but this hysterically funny thing was happening simultaneously, and my brain split into daughter crying, going through a hard thing, and songwriter, storyteller going, oh my god, I can't wait to write this down because it's so fucking funny, I can't believe this is happening, like mom's dying, but like this nurse is having a religious seizure and it is just beyond yeah. didn't she tell you to write these stuff down I mean, did, <laughs> she did yeah, yeah. she was, was like this of, is good stuff you should be writing this down yeah bully yeah. bully is my nickname bully are you getting this down we should make a play out of it so i i would and it's just <laughs> i gotta see it live i mean yeah the, the dark, and, but the audience the is like oh my god thank you for saying that because yeah. you gave me permission to laugh at poop to laugh at prosthetic noses to laugh at you know, these weird, crazy things that we will all face. Right. And I, I sort of declassify all of it. Yeah, because it's all love. I mean, it's all... It's all love. You know, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry. You're yeah, it's a pants. cliche, but... Right, yeah. laugh, cry, and poop your pants. That That's a great tag for the bottom. <laughs> that's what we should do for Above the Basement, actually. <laughs> that's our tagline. You will laugh, laugh you will cry, cry, and poop your pants. Yeah. Can I ask you something about this story and your mom and dementia is there something in it that relates to music or poetry both i'm fascinated with memory and dementia and brain injury actually and music and music therapy there's so much about creativity and music alone but also even visual arts and dance that people are finding in the last 10 20 years really resonate with Alzheimer patients. Yes. What you've done, whether you realize it or not, is you're putting it all in one space. Even yep. smells. Yeah. Ironically, because oh. the whole... Absolutely smells. Nose. Well, it's all part of kind of reframing dementia since it is epidemic already and it's going to get... There's going to be more and more and more Yeah. People are getting older. We're just I mean, more people long. are getting older. Yeah. If you can sort of reframe it and make creativity be one of the goals of keeping people animated and engaged. I mean, with mom, it was connecting to early music from her, you know, from being a kid, the cream of wheat jingle. We would sing that every day. The cream of wheat jingle? Yeah. How much is that doggy in the window? Like stuff that she knew as a kid was the stuff that had stuck. I mean, this is pretty typical. What would she look like when you sang the cream of wheat jingle? Oh, she would be so animated. She would sing along. Cream of wheat is so good to eat that we have it every day. And then we would, you know, we would dance and we would you know, we would dramatize it, and, and then we would say, fun. "Well, what what else could we do? We could make a whole play about breakfast, Mom. What now? What would that look like?" And she'd say, "Well, you could be—I don't know—you could be Crepe Suzette, and maybe Pat could be the Muffin Man." And you know, she'd just crack herself yeah. up all the time, and it would just be like being a kid and yeah. playing. And yeah. yeah, she loved that. And I just met this woman named Ann Basting, um, who has a website called Time Slips. She just won a MacArthur Genius really? Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible woman. She's doing 
amazing work with dementia patients, but it's all around finding the creativity that is still there and the childlikeness that can still be creating. Yeah. And she came to my show and was oh. just super lovely and had all these ideas about how to travel it and especially those 150 seat theaters were my favorites because <laughs> yeah. you were well, right there yeah. with the actors you're right you're part of it we love the lizard lounge i don't know if you know the lizard mm-hmm. lounge that's one of my favorite places to go see music because mm-hmm. it's like an around it's, a, it's like around and you're 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 sitting a foot away from the musicians i yeah. love that you're they're not up on a stage somewhere with the light blinding them they're right yeah, yeah. there in front of you so I, and ideally you would find an incredible theater and film it beautifully mm. just film it and have an amazing audience that's you know that's because we have a, we have film of a, a rehearsal the, the stuff on YouTube is from a yeah. rehearsal before we even started off Broadway so I had nothing to bounce off of right. in those and now it's gotten as I've gotten more comfortable and more sort of in my bones about it it's gotten funnier and more loose and more just more like I'm telling you a story you can explore too you can explore, yeah, and you can let whatever you feel that kind of pops in your head. You can let just run with it. That's when you know that you're in the moment. Just like on stage tomorrow, you have a crafted set list. However, you can get a little improv-y at times. I shit mean, happens, you, yeah. Shit <laughs> happens. Well, yeah. you know that. I'm well, glad I don't. I, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm glad you made that little transition there because I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, enough about, about, about music. my dumb play. Because no, no, no. You play the guitar, and and you are a alternate tuner. I am. A what? She, she makes alternate tunings on her guitar. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And alternate I've, state tunings. I've never, I've never been good at it. I, I don't have the patience for it. It's, it's a, I don't know, it's a mind thing for well, me. Well, because you know, know what you're doing. Well, I don't know. I guess it's like you learned how to play the guitar. I never learned how to play the guitar. That may be something. So that, I had to make shit up. That helps. Yeah. Now I She's remember. Like Brit. I remember reading okay, something about yeah. Nick Drake, who used to who used a lot of alternate Did tunings, mm. and this is you know back in the '60s, right? And um, he would be in coffee shops in England somewhere, and he would play the song, and then he'd take half an hour to tune his guitar <laughs> up. And it was like a big thing; like he'd get all nervous and, and anxious trying to tune it. So my question is: Do you, do you have like 90 guitars up there that you do it? <laughs> I wish I only have three songs that are in normal tuning. So much mine. One called "Taste of Danger" and one called "Everything I Wanted." So what do you do? So I just figure out what to say in between things when I have to tune. Everything else is a crapshoot, and I try to do at least a couple in a row that are maybe in a, in the same or yeah. similar tuning. Well, yeah, you've been doing that for a while <laughs> because I mean I I've remember gotten pretty good at talking and tuning. I was doing some guitar workshops in Denmark of all places with one of my guild spot my. Fender sponsored dude over there, this Viking dude named Knut. 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 I like it. He told me once, he said, like, don't worry about the tuning. Like, mm. they'll wait. If you're nervous, then you make them nervous. But, like, it's nothing. You just got to tune. That's your job. Tune the fucking guitar. Yeah. If you want to talk, talk. But take your time. Yep. They're only nervous if you're freaking out about taking too much time. So, so, so you're always return, just returning the guitar. You I'm know? just tuning you a lot. You don't have other, you don't have other guitars sitting there. <laughs> well, things. you know, when there was tour support and a bus, I, and then I had a guitar tech, I would bring like five guitars. Yeah. And then so they would just be like handing them off. Yeah, okay, so there's one bad thing about that. That was super fun. That was so great. I bet. So for the songwriting part, how does that work for you? Do you, do you start off on just a regular tuned guitar? Do you just kind of play around? Is it just whatever sounds right to you on an open strumming and... One of my very first favorite tunings came about because I was trying to approximate a Roach Sisters song called the Hammond song. 
And I was trying to, because it sounded like an open tuning to me. Okay. And it sounded like there was a major seven in it, and they would hammer on. Then hammering on would take the seven to the tonic. Right. And there was a, another note that would hammer on. And so I was like, okay, how do I make it be the chord that you hammer on to become With open. the thingy? And so I, I did that. So you tried to make an so open that. sound. I made a, a major you... seven and a that other note that I can't remember which one it is now, but that you hammer it on and then you make a full major chord yeah. once you've hammered it on. And that became my favorite tuning. That's um, the angel in the house is in yeah. that tuning with... Actually, it's probably the, a flat five. I don't know. You you have a lot of flat five going on with some of those dissonance. Not in the actual tuning things. itself, but I will f- always find the flat five in. A, you seem a chord. to always find a flat five. <laughs> All your tunings yeah. are on your website too, tuning. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, really? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. secrets are on the website. Secrets yeah. are on the website. Yeah. And then some of them might come across by mistake. Like I'll yeah. travel, and then the I will detune the guitar a little, and it'll come out in a weird tuning, and I'll see what happens. Yeah. The and then a lot of it is just trial and error, just plopping my fingers around finding stuff. I'll drop the I'll yeah. drop the E maybe that's what I'll that's all I'll do. I'll drop, drop the, the E. Drop the E. You go low. Well, then you what? can use the partial yeah. capo, and that's I've done a little bit of funner. That. I've done a little bit of partial capoing. Yeah. And nowadays you can buy those capos that each individual string can be capoed, and <laughs> so I don't have the patience for it. I don't. I wish I did. I just have a piano that you can't do much with. It just goes out of tune, I guess. But <laughs> well, you play a keyboard though. That's well, I play so mainly that piano. Of, that doesn't go out of, out of tune. Well, of speaking notes. of that, we have a small, a, a little guitar you brought. It's a mandolin, actually. Oh, it's a mandolin. Ooh. Yeah. I brought my guitar too. Well, so I should play your guitar. It's up to you. I would think they'll let us. I don't see why not. Do you think you'll let Jonathan play your guitar? I'll, she can do whatever she wants. Oh yeah. Let's play your guitar. Let's play Chuck's guitar. Oh, awesome. Jonathan's gonna play my awesome guitar. Yeah. yeah. I use thirteens. Is that okay? Oh good, yeah, because I'm gonna tune it. Do you want me to sing or <laughs> do you want Jonathan to sing, Chuck? <laughs> okay. I'd rather have Jonathan sing. Okay. Definitely. You can do the harmony. Before we let you go, so you're you have some songwriting weekends coming up, right? I have a songwriting workshop in Nashville, April 8th through 10. How do you sign up for cool. those? Where is that? Can I come? In Nash- oh, you should come. It's really cool. It's the thing that Mary does as well. Mary Gauthier. Mary Gauthier. Yeah. Um, where, where is it? Usually at the Scarrett Bennett Center. And then the, the third Center. day we do yeah. it at the Ocean Way Studio so that we all get to have some fun throwing stuff down. Neat. And then I go to Denmark. I have five dates in Denmark. You going to see your Viking friend? Canute? Yeah. <laughs> Knut. Knut. Knut will be there. Knut Damgard. You're going to go to Copenhagen? Yeah. To play? Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Got two shows in Copenhagen. Nice. Yeah, I start talking like this. Yeah, I do, yeah. I go to you Denmark. Should, you should go over to Lithuania while you're there. I've never been to Lithuania. Yeah, I've, I've been, been there to once. Croatia. <laughs> mm. Are you getting any accents from from over there? Oh, from, yeah. From yeah, Oh, you yeah. betcha. It's yeah. sort of like Den- I just, Denmark. I just watched Fargo. It's uh, so great. So good. Yeah. I wish I talked like that. Just for yeah, like a couple I, days. I mean, we just circled back to Minnesota. That was so cool. We did. We brought it full See? circle. And Vikings. Weird. Were we just talking about Vikings in Denmark? Or no? Mm, and the, no, they weren't from Denmark. The team, that was no, like the, the football team. No, I know. But who were the, oh. the Vikings? Were like Scandinavian? Norway. Where, uh, Norway. Yeah, Norway. Anyway. Norway. Norwegian Vikings. I have yeah. Norwegian Viking blood. I have some British, I think. Jonathan Scottish. Is Jonathan short for something? No. Because every time I try to email you or, or say you, type your name into it, it, for you. it corrects it to Jonathan. I have to yeah. make a very That's so specific odd. Has that ever happened to you, Jonathan? Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a great name. I like it. I like it. It's good. Yeah. My parents had friends with a daughter named Jonathan. Oh, okay. It's as boring as that. Oh, I don't know. It's good yeah, name. it's good enough. I like it now. Music. It was hard as a kid. Jonathan Brooke. No, it's a good music name. I like it. I was talking to Chuck before that when Stay I saw well. you play at the Met- at the Metronome. It was like pre-internet. 
Right. It was 93, I think. Right. Yeah, it was definitely pre internet. Those are the days, huh? Yeah. yeah. I had awesome. a typewriter in college. You weren't obsessed with your phone all the time. You actually would yeah, be in a room and only do the one thing yeah. that you were there for. I miss those days. There's part of me that wishes the internet would just die. And mm. we could go back to normal. Then we know podcasts. It'd be then. such a better world. What I know. We, we have to start problem. a radio show. We could mail podcasts to people. We would do a radio show. Radio show on yeah. the real radio, terrestrial radio, the other radio. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's sneak in a song. Can you do it for let's, us? Yeah, let's do it. I don't think they'll care. Right in the kitchen. How cool would that be? We could yeah. have pots and pans. Yeah, let me so. stop right. this. Put the gun down and come talk to me. You got a lot of nerve You're bitching about your freedom You say you had it rough Well, everybody's got their cross And so you bear it up You seek your profits You tally your laws and then you carry on, carry on, carry on You carry on, carry on, carry on Nobody done you wrong So you carry on mm-hmm. And you put the gun down Was your daddy mean? Your mama couldn't be saved No one keeping you clean Or is it just attention That you crave Put the gun down Nobody has to lose You got no way Accept forgiveness, so you better choose. And then you carry on, carry on, carry on. You carry on, carry on, carry on. Nobody done you wrong. Well, it's Tuesday, you can make it to Wednesday. Thursday, you might feel the sun. Friday knows nothing about Saturday. Sunday don't need no gun. <laughs> don't aim, don't swing. Nobody has to bleed. No fat lady gonna sing. And you may never get what you need. So you carry on, carry on, carry on You carry on, carry on, carry on Nobody done you wrong So you carry on Yeah, yeah, yeah Carry on, carry on, carry on You carry on, carry on, carry on Nobody done you wrong Carry on mm-hmm. and you put the gun down Yeah, put the gun down
Check out where Jonathan's one-woman show is appearing at fournoses.org. That's with the number four. And see where her solo tour is taking her at jonathabrook.com. Go to abovethebasement.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram, and join us on Patreon. We are everywhere. On behalf of Ronnie and myself, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. <laughs>